Hello and welcome to Impala's podcast series, 20 Minutes With. Offering another thoroughly illuminated episode just for you. I am Juliana Carantin and today I'll be talking to Paul Pacifico from AIM, the UK's Association of Independent Music. We'll be talking about the economics of streaming music and Impala's 10-point plan to fix it. Hi, Paul. Really psyched to have you on the show. Hi, Juliana. Thank you very much for, for having me here with you today. Ah, streaming music today. After a period of uncertainty, streaming has become the main source of income from recorded music worldwide. A recent article in Wired magazine noted that, open quotes, Streaming today accounts for 80% of all industry income, close quotes. But streaming is also a bone of contention for artists. The top seven artists on Spotify each earn around half a million dollars per year from streaming on the service, while Spotify royalties for the bottom 99% of artists earn an average of $25 annually. Yes, you heard right, only $25 a year. The UK Parliament even has its own inquiry on the issue. Paul, what on earth is the problem if everybody is listening to streaming music? Thanks, Juliana. I think fundamentally the the place to start with this is that the size of the overall market, whilst it's been growing thanks to streaming, is still, in European terms, back to only 35% of what it was years ago at, in, the, in the height of the CD boom when you adjust for inflation. So the overall size of the market is much, much smaller than it was. And you have a lot more people participating in the market. Um, you know, I think uh, we see from things like PRS and PPL member registrations, they've gone up by something like 100,000 individual creators on both the performer and the, and the songwriting side in that same period of time. Within the market itself, you've got issues that persist around legacy contracts, you know, um, labels that still haven't updated their deals with artists and they're paying analog rates still in the digital world, which doesn't make a lot of sense. And the market overall is very much a winner takes all scenario. So we see from the statistics that you quoted that really there's a, a massive concentration of wealth at the top end. The top 1% of, of people in the market take something like 90% of the revenue. So I think that combination of factors gives us a world in which everybody feels that it's, it's growing, it's moving the right direction, it's great for consumers, it's, it's been a massive democratization in the market, but financially it's not quite where it should be yet. You are part of Impala's working group on this issue, and that group has come up with concrete proposals to fix the streaming conundrum. Briefly explain why the working group was set up in the first place. The working group at Impala, I really feel, comes absolutely from our own culture in independent music of creative entrepreneurship. You know, we look at the issues and the dynamics of the streaming market, and we've got lots of good ideas on, on how it could work better, you know, and we're constantly challenging and pushing to make the world we live in and that we operate in a, a better place, a fairer place, uh, a more considerate and, and human-centered 
I think, environment. And, and all of those things sort of meant that the debate around the Impala table was, was lively, it was interesting, it was exciting, it was creative and forward-looking. And so to form a working group to give ourselves time to really dig into the issues uh, was an exciting opportunity, but it, it was, like I say, a very natural thing for us to be doing it in parlor. And I, th- I think the results really show the value in that brains trust that we pulled together and how that conversation happened and, and the fact that we have such a strong list of concrete proposals coming out of it. In which case, how exactly will Impala's plan to fix streaming happen? Well, you know, we've got 10 clear points and we've got to start by really once and for all dealing with the issue of safe harbours. You know, this is the idea that some platforms feel that they can choose whether or not to pay for content and choose whether or not they need, you know, artists and rights holders permission to have that content on their platforms. We feel that whilst there there may have been an argument for safe harbours in the early days of the internet where everyone was experimenting and not sure what would work, we're now in a much more developed environment online. We don't need those loopholes anymore. They should be closed. And we should bring the market to a place where, where people have a, a fair and full commercial marketplace in which to trade their rights. Um, and that would, we think, really be the strongest single lever to bring, them, you know, to bring the market back into balance and to start to regrow back from 35% of what we had before to something much more realistic to sustain the artists, the creators and, the, and their commercial partners within it, as well as the platforms and charge the consumers fairly. The second thing I think we've got to get into is really to resolve this issue of legacy contracts. The the independent community in 2015 unilaterally published the the worldwide fair digital deals declaration, which which put on the table the fact that there are you know revenues now that didn't exist before and weren't captured by old world contracts. Um, there's the sharing of unattributable revenues. There's there's lots of things actually that labels can do to play fair and pay fair with artists. The independent community stood up and dealt with those issues head on. And we call on the rest of the industry to join us. You know, let's do, let's do what we can do to make the market a better place while we call on everyone else to do their bit. Because if we're going to really solve these issues, these are complicated issues that cover multiple stakeholders. We've got to pull together. We've all got to do our bit on our side. We're doing our bit and we'd like to see people join us there. And I see there are other points too that you'll be addressing, such as when it comes to fraudulent activities, uh, reductions in royalty for plays, any others? With any market, there's the potential for abuse and fraudulent activity. And we see this happening in the streaming world. You have bots and other automated services that are just power playing particular pieces of music and trying to sort of drive them up the charts in the old way. But unlike the old world chart manipulation, which was about PR and profile, this is actually taking revenue out of the market. This is hoovering up money that should otherwise be going to legitimate artists and for legitimate plays. This is of deep concern to us, and particularly because it means the people in the market with the deepest pockets can pay the most to kickstart their tracks uh, and, and trick the algorithms into thinking that people are interested in their music. For this to not be addressed and for it to become a part of marketing planning would, would be a, a terrible outcome for the streaming market. And this is something that has to be gripped in partnership between the labels, publishers, streaming platforms, governments around the world. This has to be taken seriously. Streaming manipulation, make no mistake, is theft. Whoa, I'm a, <laughs> that sounds rather ambitious, but 
let's break that plan down step by step further. We've already talked about the EU Copyright Directive before on this show, and you are absolutely right. It makes sense to want to end safe harbor first. Now, I see the second point that you mentioned is about fair royalty rates for artists. So Impala appears to be rejecting equitable remuneration while still wanting a proper digital rate. Briefly explain what equitable remuneration is and why it does not work for everyone. First of all, Juliana, I've got to congratulate you on being able to say equitable remuneration. It's the biggest (laughs) tongue twister in the music industry. Uh, But it is a sign of how important this debate is that all of us have learned to say it properly. Um, There is, however, you know, equitable remuneration, it sounds like it's saying fair payment. And who could argue with that? The problem, though, is that equitable remuneration is a term of art. It is a legal term. And what it doesn't mean is the fair sharing of income, which is what a lot of people think it means. What it actually means is fair compensation for rights that have been taken away from you. Equitable remuneration is not about giving performers a new right. It is about compensating performers for rights that are being taken away from them. So we're resistant to equitable remuneration, not because we're against paying people fairly. On the contrary, We're resistant to it because it removes the opportunity for the whole next generation of creative entrepreneurs to negotiate proper market value for their rights on negotiated commercial terms. And if we take a a comparator, let me give you some context for that. Um, uh, We currently have uh, radio, for example, terrestrial radio, which does pay uh, uh, on equitable remuneration terms. And the maths is very simple. Even though each payment for a radio play can feel quite chunky, can feel quite good, it's because it's based on the assumption that there is a huge aggregated audience listening to that radio play. If you break it down on a per listener basis, radio is actually paying up to 200 times less per listen than streaming platforms. Seriously? Yes. And this for us is our biggest concern is that when you have a government licensed monopoly structure setting rates, which equitable remuneration would bring in, they're always on the side of caution so as not to allow those licensed monopolies to over overexert their market position. So you're always going to get a lower rate from those than you would get from commercial negotiations. You know, we want to see the maximum value returned to the industry and shared fairly between the artists and the creative entrepreneurs that invest in and support them. And what about reforming revenue distribution models? I have heard a lot about various proposals like the user-centric royalties you mentioned earlier, and which I hear SoundCloud is reported to be offering. What's Impala's solution there? I think you know, user-centric is one of a number of really positive ideas to explore. You know, there's no dogmatic resistance from us to any solution. We think the data will tell us what works and doesn't work. In any change to the market, there are going to be winners and losers. And the Impala 10-point plan sets out a number of options that explore different ways of sharing the wealth. And they all have slightly different outcomes and they will suit slightly different slightly different approaches. So for example, classical music and jazz and some other longer form content are prejudiced in the current system because the tracks are longer. And in one hour of listening, you could listen to, say, 20 pop songs. 
but perhaps only three movements of a concerto. On that basis, classical artists would only receive three streams worth of revenue and a pop artist would receive 20 streams worth of revenue. So there are ideas around some services exploring what we call pro rata temporis. In other words, you're paid according to the length of listen time rather than the number of tracks, which would be great for them. It would be less good for short form content artists. So different ideas will have different impacts. I mean, at AIM, we developed an idea that we've called the artist growth model. And this is a model which accelerates maturity on streaming. We think one of the big problems for emerging artists, but also credible niche artists, is that they'll get to a million streams a year. They'll never get to the hundreds of millions of streams a year that you need to to make real money out of streaming. So so what we've recommended, it's it's a little bit of a Robin Hood model where you you shave a little bit off the top and you push it down the chain and it it helps support those people who are, you know, think about about the fantastic, credible niche artists who've inspired and inform the big pop successes of today. They should get a reflection of some of that value back. So what we'd like to see is again, like I said, this artist growth model, we've called it, which applies what economists call a digressive scale to the bottom of the market. It's, it's a bit like uh, it's a bit like adding compression in the studio to, to a track. It just it makes the, the highs, it shaves the highs a little bit and it boosts the lows a little bit and it just makes the whole thing a bit more even. So we like that idea. But like I say, I don't think it's one size fits all. I think it's the best way forward is to experiment with a lot of these ideas and to find out what impact they have and who they serve. And you know, if there's one idea that really helps classical and jazz, it might be that there are specialist services that build around that and attract an audience that want to reward that. And so you know, we'll end up with much more choice for consumers ultimately, which has got to be better for, the, for everybody. Impala's plan also talks about the reduction of royalty rates for plays. Now, are you referring to Spotify offering, and if I've understood this correctly, offering privileged treatment through its algorithm and different features in exchange for a share of rights holders' royalties? The, the, the Spotify proposal is, is one example of what we're talking about. And I would give this analogy. It's a little bit like somebody standing up in the cinema. If you're in a crowded cinema and one person stands up, then they're going to have a better view of the screen. And they'll say, well, I'm doing better than everybody else because I've stood up. But as more and more people stand up, that advantage reduces. And by the time everybody in the cinema is standing up, you're exactly back to square one, but everybody's less comfortable. Okay? Great analogy. The Spotify proposal for me is kind of saying, if you effectively discount what you get, if you allow us to increase our margin, we'll give you the advantage, we'll let you stand up in the cinema. But obviously, everybody's going to end up standing up. And where we'll end up is back where we are today, but with Spotify having an increased margin. And I think actually, there's great justification for the DSPs, the digital service providers to take a good margin while they're growing their business, while they're investing, while they're spending a lot on marketing, they're opening up new markets, doing all sorts of good things for the sector, and they're growing and growing and growing in scale. At a certain point in time, though, there has to be a discussion to realign the kind of margin they have with other platform businesses. I mean, 30% margin for a platform business is an enormous margin. And I think it's important to keep that in context. So over time, actually, I think the debate should be about the right way to reduce DSP margin, not complicated mechanicals, mechanical procedures to sort of trim the rights holder and artist share of the pie. 
I've also read in some places that it's been compared to the payola of old, which I thought was a rather strong accusation. But then what do you think? I can completely understand that, particularly in the US, where payola was led to an entirely corrupt radio industry. You know, you, you got played on the radio if you bribed a DJ. I mean, that's, that is not a world we want to live in. We want, pe- we want a meritocracy where, where great music gets the support it deserves because it's fantastic. I, I would hate to see any system in which users are recommended music, not on the basis of merit, but on the basis of, you know, a bit of a bung in the back office. I think it's, I think it's just a really unhealthy slip backwards for our market to do anything that points in that direction. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense as well. I also see that the plan, Impala's plan, focuses a lot on local markets in Europe. What's the idea behind that? And what exactly are you suggesting? Europe is a fantastic example of a part of the world with lots of small countries. So you have a huge diversity of culture, language, interests, ethnicities, all kinds of interesting um, layers to the culture across Europe. It's quite nuanced. We would love to see that local repertoire is supported, local languages are supported on streaming platforms. And so we don't rush into a kind of global homogenization where, you know, you have the top 10, it's the same everywhere in the world. You know, there's only one language we hear music in. There's only one, one beat that everybody's dancing to. You know, we'd love to see initiatives that, that really take the opportunity of reinforcing healthy, viable local music ecosystems that the whole world can then enjoy through access via the platforms. Impala is definitely taking the issues the music business and other creative sectors worldwide are going to have to address. In which case... Just to sum up overall, the streaming debate sometimes makes it seem as if there's a massive gulf between artists and tech platforms. But it is not so straightforward, is it? And I think you've alluded to this earlier on. And also, as illustrated in the recent agreement between your organization with Facebook, Spotify, YouTube, and Amazon Music for the AIM Platinum program. Is it fair to say that such agreements help creators and the digital service providers understand each other's points of view even more? The annual Platinum partnerships that AIM has put in place with some of the big digital platforms. We have a partnership with with Merlin and with PPL in addition to, as you mentioned, Facebook, Spotify, YouTube, Amazon Music and, and, and others. And it absolutely does build relationships. It creates a meeting point for all participants in the market to hear from each other, to feed back to each other, to explore ideas with each other, to share information. And, and all of those activities build trust. They build trust and they build better practice on all sides. It means our members do better on those platforms because they understand them better. It means those platforms build tools for our members that suit them better because they understand them better. And you create a virtuous circle. And and this is something that at AIM is foundational to our culture and our, our, our whole ethos. We believe in bringing people together. We believe in engaging, even where that's uncomfortable. We believe in addressing problems openly and honestly. And not just to ticking boxes, but to working hard together to implement systemic change and change that will stand the test of time and really make a difference. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. In which case, Paul, it's now our popular five quick fire questions in five minutes. Here we go. Number one, 
What are the three things that stand out for you in the past 12 months? Oh my goodness. Well, what you mean other than COVID, Brexit and the streaming inquiry? I think actually, uh, seriously, those are very serious issues. But what's stood out to me over the last year, I think, is actually, I would say the resilience, the strength and the support shown by the independent music community, both to itself and to all of our partners and people that we're in touch with. You know, uh, AIMS members raised an £800,000 COVID relief fund uh, that went to not not just direct members, but it went to the teams of artists who weren't able to tour because of the COVID crisis. So the sound engineers, the technicians, the band members, the artists, the, the makeup artists, the wardrobe people, all of these people who were unable to work through no fault of their own. And many very successful artists supported their teams themselves but a lot of artists who are on the way up, they're emerging, they're, they're not at that scale, they can't afford to do that. And it was incredible to see, to see the AIM community step up and do that. Brilliant. What are your priorities for the future? My immediate priority is getting AIM to launch our new associate membership tier. And this is a new free tier of AIM membership that's going to be available to every single client of every single independent distributor in the AIM network. And this, we believe, is our strongest opportunity to level the playing field, to deliver social capital, by which we mean knowledge and networks to that whole next generation of creative entrepreneurs out there in music so that they can go into the industry with their eyes open, they can make good decisions about who, you know, who they partner with and how, and that we reinforce a strong, vibrant, pluralistic and healthy future for independent music. What are you often heard saying? (laughs) Um, A phrase I often say to my team is that we mustn't let perfect be the enemy of good. Um, That we don't always have the perfect answer, but we just have to keep taking a step forward one step at a time. Let's make the world better one day at a time. Sweet. What's your one piece of advice to someone considering a career in music? I teach a class at Berklee College of Music in their Valencia campus in Spain, and it's for their Masters of Music program to some of the most talented, virtuoso musicians from around the world. And they ask me this question a lot. So this is something I've thought about. And the answer I always give them is, if you want to play the game, you've got to learn the rules. Music is a complex business based on intellectual property and rights and and all of the you know, there are several sets of rights they work in different ways and they work in different ways in different countries if you're gonna step up and play at that high stakes poker game it's better you know how to play poker first so so take responsibility take responsibility safeguard yourself and build a career with your eyes open cool and what's on your playlist at the moment oh Goodness gracious. That's a, that's a risky question to ask someone in my position. I tell you what I am listening to. I'm power playing at the moment a new playlist the AIM team have curated called All New Independent. It started on Spotify. We're going to roll it out on all the other, all the other platforms now. And it's effectively, it's a playlist that highlights all the new releases from our members um, and really paints a picture of what's happening in the independent community in the UK right now. So if you want to know what our scene looks like, you can go and you can follow this uh, all new independent playlist and uh, keep in touch with us that way. Sweet. Paul, 
thanks so much for making the time to take the streaming debate to another level to benefit all artists. It's been an absolutely awesome conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you, Juliana. And thank you very much to you and to the Impala team for making this podcast possible. <laughs>